You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. community. It's all about the vision and the understanding that God is calling us to build a community of faith and to grow as a disciple and follower of His. Let's do that. Let's not settle for mediocrity. Jason beat me to a little punch. Um, my name is Mark McNelly. I'm the director of outreach here, and uh, this is my second to last message that I'll be preaching uh, here at 11 o'clock Modern and on, on campus. I'm uh, moving on to a position that I took at Victory Mission uh, to work with the men in recovery there, and so 10 years as a believer here uh, has transitioned me and prepared me for for something new, and I appreciate your prayers, uh, but I say that Jason stole my punch because I could get a little emotional in my last two sermons here, uh, so apologies in advance for that. We are going to be um, looking at how we stay in love with God today. We're going to be camping out in one and a half verses in the book of Philippians, and Philippians was written by Paul to the church in Philippi, and it is the one of his letters that has the least amount of like correction in it, the least amount of discipline. He doesn't seem to be as upset with the Philippians as he was with the Corinthians and those in uh, Galatia, and, and he doesn't get really super deep and theological as, as much so as he does in the book of Romans. He wrote to the church in Rome, and he's got four chapters. Well, he didn't write chapters, but he wrote Philippians with this extreme amount of joy for them. And he was, he was in chains, and he knew that they were being persecuted for their faith, and, and he just wanted to stir up this joy. A constant theme through the book of Philippians is joy. Now, in chapter two, he writes this, what seems like a contradictory, a counterintuitive statement. And we're going to look at these two verses, one and a half actually. And what I want to encourage you to do is if you have your Bibles, keep them open. Uh, Today, if you have your Bible apps, just keep them open to Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13, the second half of 12 and verse 13. Let's read both of them together now. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me read that again so that it can sink in. In case you have your Bibles open, keep them there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, what we're going to learn from verse 12 is 
is kind of going to push a little bit against how we are wired as Americans, how we are wired uh, by our consumerism, how we are wired by uh, romantic comedies and the Disney mindset and the, and the feels and all of the, you know, I'm always, I just feel stirred up. And let me ask you, do you always feel stirred up with this height of emotion to do the right thing? How many? Raise your hand. None of us, right? There are times where it's just, man, I, I just don't want to go to worship today. You know what? I'm just going to be honest about that. You know what? I, don't, I'm, I woke up a little bit late. I don't have time. And I just don't want to open my Bible and bear down and get into it. You know, and, and I started this discipline of fasting in the summer. I'm going to talk more about it later. But on some Fridays, I don't want to fast. I don't feel like it. Right? How many of you, whenever you have these spiritual disciplines that you've put into place in your life, again, I'll ask for a show of hands, always feel like doing them? Nobody, right? This just isn't the way it works in the Christian life. Yet, the scriptures promise us this way, this, this life of walking in the Holy Spirit and following Jesus to where we can stay in love with God. So that we can have this drive toward doing what God has called us to do. And then what we just heard in the verse, which again sounds like it could be contradictory or counterintuitive, work out your own salvation. Well, for, because it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, which is it, Paul? Who's doing the work here? Are we doing the work? Is God doing the work? And the answer we're going to see is yes. Now, I was thinking through, um, what, trick, trick question, trick, trick answer, right? So, well, I was thinking this week about different areas of life where when it comes to working out or working towards something or applying our effort towards something, how when we fall short of that, we recognize there are going to be consequences and results. So say you get a gym membership, right? And, and you, you go to the gym once, maybe you go to the gym twice. Uh, the average amount of time that a new gym member sticks with it is about 13 weeks. I looked that up. Now, after six months to a year, do you think that person is upset and angry at the fact that they aren't in shape? No. Well, if they're a reasonably thinking person, they might be, you know, conflicted and not working through the reality of why they're not in shape, but it's because they didn't go, right? So let's say you're a student. Some of you are in high school, college. You, let's say that you decide you're just only going to study when you feel like it. I'm only, if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. And then when I go in and I get my grades at the end of the semester and I've got a D, two C's and a B, am I going to, okay, well, I might be upset if I'm irrational, but if I'm thinking rationally, am I going to be upset about that? No, I didn't study. I get it. Now let's say we get a new job and we only go to work when we feel like it. <laughs> yeah, some laughs on that one. Especially if you have a, a job where you work late at night or early in the morning. How long are you going to keep that job if you only go when you feel like it? Not very long, right? So why is it, and I know I do this too, so no judgment. Why is it do we think that we can kind of put our relationship with God and the things that he's called us to do to keep that relationship strong? Why do we think that we can have the same kind of approach to that and then get upset whenever we don't feel like he's near, whenever we don't sense his presence in our life, whenever we don't have that strong connection why is it that we don't look at the different things that God has called us to do and then when we don't do them, still expect that our, our spiritual life is just going to explode, that we're going to have these mountaintop experiences, that burning bushes are going to be everywhere, 
when the, fo- you know, when the fog is on the mirror in the bathroom, he's going to write little love notes to you in the morning when you're getting ready, right? You know, why do we think that this is going to happen? John Wesley uh, started the Methodist tradition. Actually, he didn't start a new church or denomination. He created a movement. And what he understood was he looked at the Church of England at the day, and he saw a lot of dead religion. He saw a lot of people who just didn't have this love and this passion and this fire for God. And do and you know what he did? He put on these big emotive shows, and he got everybody all hyped up, and then he sent them out to stay in love with God. No, he didn't do that. He did, he did, he did pass, passionately preach, but he set up three general rules. And those three general rules were, if we could put those on the screen, do good, do no harm, and attend to the ordinance of God. Now, do good, do no hard, stay, uh, attend to the ordinances of God. Now, we don't use the language ordinances of God today, so Wesleyan scholars have kind of rephrased that staying in love with God. So, To stay in love with God, John Wesley came up with six things that he proposed if we would do, if we would work out our salvation in this way that we could stay in love with God. So let's take a look at them. We're going to dig much deeper into them later, but the public worship of God. Okay, you're all here. You must have all felt like coming to worship today. Yes. Yes. The ministry of the word, either read or expounded. So this Bible studies, classes, you know, being in an environment where somebody is Uh, dividing the word of God and teaching it, gifted people teaching the word. The Lord's Supper, I love the fact that 11 o'clock modern and church at the center, we do communion every week. I just, I love that fact. I think it's very true to Wesley's heart that um, that we do that often. And actually next door, if you worship more often next door, communion is in the prayer room if you would like to take communion there on Sunday mornings. Family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, And as I mentioned to Stephanie earlier, the two most popular things in Christianity today, fasting and abstinence. (laughs) So what Wesley proposed was if we did these things, if we worked out our salvation in fear and trembling, and we attended to the ordinances of God, that we could stay in love with him, that these were actually tools that we could use to remain committed to God. Now, how did he say we would do that? Work out your own salvation with, does anybody have their Bible still open? Fear and trembling. Okay, another thing that's out of vogue in American Christianity, the fear of God. The fear of God is mentioned in the scriptures somewhere around 300 times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in the wisdom literature. People in the New Testament in the book of Acts are referred to as God-fearers. And so what is happening there? Obviously, when you become a child of God, he never, ever wants us to obey out of fear of punishment, that, you know, God is going to smite us, the holy smiter, if I don't attend to the ordinances of God. Certainly, Paul wrote in Romans, as we looked earlier in the Roman study, that it is his kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. But when the scriptures talk about the fear of God or a fear and a trembling of working out our salvation, what they're talking about is understanding who God is. Not being so flippant about our responsibility in response to what he's done for us. The fact that he is the almighty, eternal creator of the universe, actually the cosmos, everything that we can see, everything that we can't see, nothing surprises him. He is outside of time. He is behind us. He has gone before us. We are temporal beings who have fallen so far short of his glory that we need his 
his unmerited favor. We need his sheer grace to even enter back into a relationship with him. And here's what the scriptures are talking about when they say fear and trembling. Remember how serious that that is. Remember how serious of trouble that you were in in your life and your ability to manage your life and your ability to ensure that you could have eternal life. Remember how perilous it was for you before God entered the picture. This is, it's a big deal. It's really, really serious for us to understand where we stand in relation to the holiness and the glory of God. Now, I was thinking of a way to illustrate this uh, this morning, and I uh, flashed back in my mind to my freshman basketball coach, Coach Phil Montgomery. He is in one of the Facebook groups that I'm in now, and it's stirring up some memories for Coach Montgomery. There's a classic uh, episode in a game that we were playing at Parkview when we were getting waxed by Parkview. And I went to Ozark, by the way, so any Parkview kids in here, my apologies for this. But we were losing, and we shouldn't have been. And he comes in, and he picks up a chair. And I was playing the worst, and I was starting at that time. And he throws a chair into the, into the showers, and it echoed through, like, the parents, everybody out in the gym heard it. Boom! And he goes, McNally! And he went right down the line of every single one of us starters, and we were just like... You know what we did? We went out in the second half, and we played harder for Coach Montgomery than we had ever played in our entire life. Now, did we think that he was going to harm us? No. Did we think that he didn't care about us? No. Did we think that he was getting real serious about how far short we were falling of what he knew that our potential was? Yes. Did we understand in that moment of him showing us who was boss that he cared and he had our best interest at heart? Yes. And I was thinking to myself, I had more healthy fear of Coach Montgomery as of, how old are you in freshman year? 15? As a 15-year-old boy, than I do as a 45-year-old man when it comes to attending to the ordinances of God. It's insane, right? How is it that I don't understand who God is? Does God need to come through my house and grab a chair and throw it into the bathroom to get my attention? Or do we need to open up the word of God, come across scriptures like this, and, and train ourselves? really train our hearts and our minds and our souls to understand what the Bible means when it, when it calls us to have a healthy fear of God. There's a pastor um, uh, who said one time, it only takes me 24 hours to lose a healthy fear of God. That plowed me. He was, he was training other pastors. And he said, you know, if I step back from the things that I know I'm called to do, if I step back from working out my own salvation in fear, and tr- I will lose that healthy fear, that understanding of who God is and how serious it is for me to attend to what he's told me to do. It takes about one day for me <laughs> to start slipping back into not understanding who God is and who I am. So we talk about grace a lot in the church, and we... We love grace. We, we throw the word grace. Grace is free for us, and we, we love to talk about free grace, unmerited favor. But I think the words from Amazing Grace, most of you have heard this, right, the hymn Amazing Grace, right? Raise your hand. Everybody's heard Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." Here's the thing about grace. We love to throw out, the, and it, makes, it gives us the warm fuzzies, 
Yeah, grace, unmerited favor. It's free. God is just lavishing it on me, and I'm saved by grace through faith. Yes, that's all true. Here's what Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, understood. That it's free for us, but it was very costly to God. That it cost God a lot. It cost us the, the life and the death of his own son to give us this costly grace. So the fear of the Lord, what it does is it reshapes our understanding of grace. No longer do we understand grace from being cheap, but we transfer that to understanding how costly it is for us. So how, how often do you just kind of sit? I hope you will this week. I hope you'll take Philippians 2, 12 and 13 home. It's an easy verse or two verses to, to memorize. Do that this week. Meditate on it and just get alone with God and ask him to help you, help you to understand in a deeper way how to have a healthy fear and reverence and awe of him. So we have this, this fear and trembling that is, that is driving us, that we understand that we have a duty to follow God, that it isn't just that we do the ordinances of God whenever we feel like it. We have this delight in God. Yes, I, I sometimes do want to get up and read my Bible. Sometimes I do want to come and worship. Sometimes I do want to grab my family together and pray. But you know what? Sometimes I don't. And what happens when I don't? Can I find this way of understanding costly grace? Can I find this way of understanding the, the working out my salvation in fear and trembling to where when it's not a delight to obey God and it is a duty to obey God, that I do it through duty? through duty alone, because I know who he is and I trust what he's called me to do. Well, I promised earlier that we would walk through the six ordinances of God and just what I want you to do now is use these as a little bit of a self-examination, a little bit of a self-evaluation and ask yourself, which of these do I need to ask God to help me do out of duty? Which of these am I only doing when I feel like it, when I delight in it, when I'm emotively driven, when I have this sentimental just desire and passion to do any one of these six things, but which one or more than one do I not ever have the emotive drive and passion to do? So public worship of God, we know um, through recent statistics, uh, they vary a little, but that even people who consider themselves committed Christians and members, active members of the local church attend worship 1.7 to 2.1 times per month. That's, that's the average right now in America. And we are in the buckle of the Bible belt, so we might be beating that by a little bit. Uh, but generally, most committed Christians attend public worship half the time. And so I... Uh, I've been really inspired in my 10 years here at Schweitzer uh, by the, the lake uh, folks, the people who have lake houses during the summer. And what happens here at Schweitzer sometimes is when uh, the summer comes, you, you see people less often because they're at the lake. And there have been a couple of families through my entire time here, uh, Stephanie, you probably know who I'm talking about, who get up on Sunday morning and they come here and they drive the whatever, 30, 45 minutes to an hour and they understand how important it is for them to stay plugged in. And then they drive back down and spend Sunday afternoon at the lake. And I think to myself, there are some, I live on the street behind here. And there are mornings that if I wasn't on payroll, I'd be wrestling, you know? I'm just being honest. 
I'd be wrestling. I'd, I'd come up with excuses. I see some nods. How many of you are running through the different excuses you have not to attend public worship? Well, we can come up with them, can't we? But Wesley says, you want to stay in love with God? Do you want to train your heart to be able to obey him in those moments where trial and temptation is, is the heaviest and the hardest? Well, then do this when you don't feel like it. Do this when it's just sheer duty and not delight. The next, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded. Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into this. I, I think it's going to come up later in the series. Certainly next spring, you guys are going to hear a lot about deeper discipleship and the circles. A lot of churches have proposed that spiritual formation happens kind of on a linear scale. You know, come to barbecue with Bob, come to membership class, come to Alpha, come to, you know, and then you just kind of keep graduating. Well, what I love about Bob and Jason and, and the, the ones that are thinking about discipleship is, you know, it's not really, it's not so much like that. It's not as linear as what we want to try to make that. It's more of a, it's more of a target. And so you're going to see these circles. And on the outside of the circles is, you know, you're just kind of coming to worship. You're just getting your feet wet. And then you start taking classes and groups. Um, there's an alpha table here that, that are just, they're bonding together. They're growing in relationships. They're, they're uh, understanding the word of God in a better way. And you've got groups and classes. And then, and then you're going to come in and you're going to be in these smaller groups of, of four to six in a cell. You're going to start opening up about some serious stuff in your life. And then as Bob's going to talk about next year, spiritual guides. This is like mentoring, somebody helping you know how to have this deep relationship with God. So look out for that. But where are you in terms of, coming from the outside of the circle and moving wherever you're at in your relationship with God, your spiritual maturity, and moving inward. So that's number two, the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion. We do that, like I said here, if you're 11 modern every week, we do that every week. Family and private prayer. Now, Kinsley, my stepdaughter, she is six, and her and my son Mason this morning were playing belly flop on his bed. Now, Kinsley, apparently, in one of her belly flops, didn't get enough airtime, and bam, hit her neck. So I'm preparing this sermon, and I'm not, I'm going to confess this as well. We pray as a family, we do, but I would like to more. And I'm preparing this sermon, I'm thinking about the ordinances of God, I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. Your neck's hurting, Kinsley? Okay, let's gather around. All right, we're going to pray for Kinsley. We laid hands on her neck, and we prayed that God would keep it from hurting, giving her a headache, having any issues, sprained neck, or anything like that. Because she was crying. She, and about 30 minutes later, I was like, whoa, 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 hey, Kinsley, how are you feeling? Oh, good. It's fine. So there was a healing in the McNally house this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. But attending the ordinance of God, just, I, I had been thinking all week, how can I, you know, spark this duty? Because I had other stuff I was doing. I was, it was inconvenient for me to leave what I was doing and do that. But out of duty, how can I keep in mind being in a deeper deeper heart toward family and private prayer, searching the scriptures. Now, this can happen as you get in the circles, as you get into those smaller groups and spiritual guides for sure. But on number two, we're talking about being in a, a corporate kind of learning setting. Searching the scriptures are when, Pastor Bob talks about this, whenever you stop reading the scriptures and they start reading you. Does everybody understand the difference? When you stop reading the scriptures and they start reading you. Because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's desire when we open the Bible isn't for us to just gain a bunch of information, spiritual or historical. It's about sparking this, this 
desire God has to draw us closer to him, point out the things in our heart that are, that are keeping us away from him, that are pulling us away from him. So searching the scriptures means open up the Bible and expect God to be there. Expect God to show up. Expect transformation, not just information. So fasting and abstinence. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I have started fasting on Fridays and I just had surgery four months ago. So I'm trying to, I got back in the gym two weeks ago and I'm trying to gain weight and I have a great excuse to skip fasting on Fridays. I mean, God would understand, right? He wants me to get back to my pre-surgery, you know, weightlifting kind of routine, doesn't he? So I prayed about it and about five seconds later, I fasted again the last two Fridays. And I don't feel like it. There are couples um, at church at the center who um, have come to us too in the past year and uh, they've said, so this whole absence thing, you know, like the whole sex before marriage thing, like, is that, so like we're supposed to, yeah, this is such an awkward conversation, right? Even with somebody who has a pastoral position, you know, one of them was actually on the floor here, but we came over to the side and nobody could hear us, but the other was in, was in my office and it's just kind of awkward, right? And they're just, you know, and it, isn't that kind of like for Christians a couple centuries ago, you know? And I said, you know, no, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it's pretty consistent through, throughout the word of God and the teaching of the Christian church that, uh, that sex is a sacred thing for people in a marital covenant. And I tell them that I've been married or I've been divorced recently and an adult that had to endure a season of life in that. But abstinence. You know, Paul said, all things are profitable, but not all things are, not all things are permiss- all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. He's talking in Corinthians about this freedom we have in Christ. We're not bound by the law anymore. We have this freedom. So, you know, we weren't supposed to eat this certain thing under the old Mosaic law. We weren't supposed to, you know, do these certain, or we were supposed to do these certain rituals. We don't have to do that anymore. Christ has accomplished all that. We have this freedom in Christ. But here's what Paul says. I'll be mastered by nothing. Food, Netflix, destructive relationships, Alcohol and substances, sex, those things, entertainment on the, you know, Netflix side of things, but those things aren't in and of themselves evil. But here's what Paul says, and they aren't, you know, prohibited as Christians. But here's what Paul says, I won't be mastered by any of those things. As soon as I can't stop doing those things, then I have a problem. And I've given something else, the throne in my heart before God. And even though it might be permissible, it's not profitable and I'm going to abstain from it. And abstinence is something that John Wesley hundreds of years ago preached and he preached it passionately. And he understood that if we were going to, as Christians, stay in love with God, find a way to do the ordinances of God out of duty instead of delight, abstinence was going to be one of those things that we would have to take on. G.K. Chesterton was a Last century, he was an English theologian, and he says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Wow. Now, I think you could put a context of your whole, like, 
you know, the Christian life in general, somebody comes up to Jesus like the rich young ruler and he says, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor. And then the rich young ruler walks away and he actually rejects salvation in that moment. But I think this can apply to us as Christians in our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly walk with God. Don't you? We come up against this ideal. We read the scriptures. We understand that the, that the uh, fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Yes, I'll take all of them. All of the above. I'll choose number 10 on the fruit of the spirit. Yes, he has given us, Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yes, I want life and godliness. That's the Christian ideal. But what happens when choices come up against us that have to be made, that press on our calendar, that press on our checking account, that press on our friends and family lists, of significant relationships? What happens whenever that comes right up against our walk with Jesus? What's going to win? The Christian ideal or the things that we don't want to let go of? So we're going to get to verse 13 next. And I hope that this idea of, uh, working out our salvation in fear and trembling, I hope that that is a, a driving force to allow you to help you make those attend to the ordinances of God when you don't feel like it. If you don't hear anything else that I've said to this point, that is a tool in your spiritual toolbox to stay in love with God when you don't feel like it. But I've got an even better one for you, and it's in verse 13. He goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, here is what Paul just said. Paul just summed up the gospel in two verses. You do all of this stuff. I'm telling you to work outwardly. I'm telling you to put effort in your relation, into your relationship with God because God wants to do all of the difficult stuff inside you to help you turn around and do it again and create this cycle of a relationship of staying in love with God. What he's saying is God most desperately wants a relationship with you. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to check box all six of those ordinances. He doesn't want from heaven to look down and just say, hey, good job. Keep working hard. Work it out. He wants to come in you and say, look, I know this is hard. I know you won't always feel like it. I know there are times that, that the fear and trembling is going to be a motivating factor. I get it. I'm going to be inside you during those moments, giving you the will and to work for that. I don't want you to do any of this without me. And I don't want you to live a life where you think that it's always going to be out of duty because it won't. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it won't. But my heart is to work in you to where I'm even the one that's giving you the motivation and the desires to do what it is that I've asked you to do. Now, the thing that blows me away about God's desire to just ask us to do these work, this work outwardly, but then come within us to give us the motivation and the ability to do it is that all of this didn't just happen by way of inspiring scripture and sending prophets. God chose to leave heaven where he had everything and come do all of these things that he's asking us to do. Thinking about, think about it. Did Jesus always feel like, always, feel like being obedient. 
Now, until you start searching the scriptures, you might think, yes. At times he said, I only do, do what I, you know, only do what I see the Father doing. He is in all ways tempted just like us, but without sin. However, on the night before the cross, Jesus falls on the ground. He's sweating drops of blood. And what does he ask God? Is there any other way, God? I know that this is, you know what? This is going to be about duty. This is going to be hard. I'm going to be separated from you from the only moments in the entire history or for all of eternity. I'm going to absorb the punishment for the sin of the world, past, present, and future. The agony and the pain that Jesus knew that he was going to face drove him to ask God for another way. Can this be easier than the cross? Can I get some delight over here? You're asking me for duty. Can I get some delight? Can you pull back a little bit? And in the end, obviously, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And in that moment, his full humanity understood that in the flesh, at that moment, it was his duty to be obedient that it was his duty to have an understanding within the Trinity of relationship with his father that he could trust his father, no matter the cost. So this is good news. Whenever you hear verse 12, if all we did was look at verse 12 today and I sent you out here and you thought, "Work, man, I don't feel like I need to do even more stuff. Is that what I have to do to stay in love with God? Just get more religiously active? Ugh, Really, go on to verse 13, and God is saying, look, yeah, you, yes. Like in any relationship, you want an A in class? Study. You want to keep your job? Show up. Do you want to be healthy and fit? Stop going to Krispy Kreme and start going to the gym. Marriage couples, whenever it's, you know, good times and bad, sickness and in health, richer or poorer, You promised, do it. God is saying, that's all working out your salvation is. That's all it is. I'm asking for a relationship and there is no relationship that is all one-sided. And God is saying, look, in this one, it's 99 me and one you. (laughs) I went to the cross. I left heaven. I gave you my image and likeness. I created you. I breathed life into you. I sent my Holy Spirit to empower you. Look, this relationship is two-way, but it's 99 me and one you. I'm asking for one. And it's work out your salvation. Attend to the ordinances of God. Do these things. And I'll be within you working and willing for you to obey for my good pleasure and for your deeper joy and satisfaction. Amen? Well, let's pray for all of us today to do this this week. God, thank you for your, thank you for your scriptures, for your Holy Spirit, for coming in the person of your son, for giving us just this passage of scripture that at first read might set us off in thinking different and wrong ideas about grace and the power to love and obey you. But we thank you also that Paul was brave enough to listen to your spirit and write it and give us, um, give us this, give us this higher calling and just be truthful with us about what you want to do in us so that when we work it out, We can stay in love with you. In Jesus' name.